You're listening to Pod Academy. Welcome to the second in a series of five podcasts about new music. Number two, I will pour out my spirit. Hello, you're listening to I Will Pour Out My Spirit, a fundum spiritum meum, a podcast about how a newly composed piece of music relates to the lost sounds of a unique liturgy called the Old Hispanic Office, which was first sung on the Iberian Peninsula before the 10th century. Hold on, stay there, stay with me. It's not as niche an episode as you might think. No working knowledge of early medieval Spanish church going is necessary. I promise. My name is Arthur Keegan Boll, and I'm a composer. The purpose of these podcasts is to explain ways that new music relates to music of the past. In this episode, we are going way back to music first written down in the 10th century, and how musicological research into this repertoire has directly inspired the piece of music you're hearing. The piece was written in 2015 by Benedict Todd. Hello, Benedict. You'll hear much more from him as we discuss the interaction of music and text, and how the medieval notation greatly influenced his piece of music. We'll also hear from Dr Emma Hornby, who leads the cross-disciplinary research team investigating the old Hispanic office, and whose project spawned the call for new works. All this to come, but for now, let's just enjoy this really good bit. Before getting onto the new stuff, let's explore what the old Hispanic office actually is, by first hearing what it is not. It's not the familiar sound of Gregorian chant, which forms the Roman Catholic liturgy, and which could be said is the genesis of the entire Western tradition. The old Hispanic office is what was sung across most of Iberia until about the year 1080 when there was a big suppression of it by the Pope. This is Dr Emma Hornby, an early music specialist and reader in music at the University of Bristol. She heads up the Old Hispanic Office project. Um, it's a Western Latin Christian church, but it's not the Roman liturgy. That's the Gregorian chant. OK, so brass tacks, liturgy, we're talking about how the church goes about structuring services through the day. Exactly right. so, yes. Yep. So the office is the way that monks and clerics go around and around singing the psalms, singing chants, readings, prayers, and the shape of how they do that in medieval Iberia was unique, different from anywhere else in Western Europe. It's not just that the melodies are different and that the texts are different, it's that the whole shape of the liturgy is different, so you get through the day in different ways, and it's almost entirely unstudied. Interesting stuff, to an early musicologist or historian, perhaps. But what has this got to do with composers? That stems from Emma's novel response to a problem with the sources for this music. The notation does not give enough information for the sound to be fully recreated. We can't know what it sounded like. As I was planning this research, I kept coming up against the sticking point that I want to share my research with the widest possible audience, and that's not just... I mean, there aren't many other scholars interested in Old Hispanic chant before you start. 
There aren't even that many scholars interested in Gregorian chant. This is, it's, a, it's a niche interest. But I think the research we're doing has the potential to be interesting and exciting as a witness to human creativity um, and to, well, the creativity that, that people come up with when they are concentrated on building a, a devotional edifice. It's, it's absolutely fascinating, very subtle, very sophisticated. And how could we share our excitement about that to an audience beyond the kind of people who are cheerful reading late 9th century notation. I mean, this is, it really is a niche audience. But we can't sing it to them. My usual answer in such circumstances, if working on Roman liturgy, would be to sing this material and, and to talk about the impact that it can have on us. And of course, we can't do that. And I did briefly toy with the idea of, well, should we be trying to reconstruct it? And I thought, well, no, because that's actually a fantasy. It's sort of a, a theme park approach. And that didn't seem very respectful to me of the material in front of us. Um, and so then the crazy idea came to me that maybe we could take something of the essence of this music, whether it's something about its shape or something about its devotional or spiritual or aesthetic potential and we as scholars could communicate what we understand of that to composers and then composers could reimagine that in their own language so there was no no intention on my part that they should be trying to write pretend medieval music they should be writing music for the here and now but music that with luck captures something of the essence of this of this music from the past Back on the sure ground of new music. Effundum spiritum meum, I will pour out my spirit, was written in response to the call for compositions that came from Emma's project. I caught up with the composer, Benedict Todd, at his flat in Bristol, where we discussed his approach to the brief, starting with how he used a forum that allowed composers and the project researchers to communicate. I think for me it was um, fairly direct questions about how, 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 do, how do I read this? What's this text? Um, is there a transcription of it somewhere that I can actually read. What are these neumes? Have I read them right? No, you haven't. Um, oh, well, thank you. Okay, so kind of text-based analysis mm -hmm. yes. focusing on the manuscript. And the starting point, um, privately, for the, the piece for me was searching through as many of the old Hispanic manuscripts as I could get access to online, um, looking for texts which I thought would make a nice piece for the project. It's very important to me when I'm setting a text to music that the music come from the text somehow, um, that the music be very closely related to the text. Um, I like to avoid um, music that is just a nice tune that happens to fit the metre of the words. I'd much rather look closely at what I perceive to be the meaning of the words and then music seems to come from that somehow trying to set that very directly into music. I take what I think is quite a direct approach um, to this. So, so for me, almost all the music in this piece is really tied closely with um, the words in that particular line or each phrase or each sentence separately, or possibly even um, shorter than that. If there are really important words, then um, 
they get picked up. Okay, show, show us an example. Where, where would you Well, there's an important word at the end. Uh, the text says, Quia ego dominus, because I am the Lord, um, which is, by the time we get there in, in the, the flow of the text, this um, feels like a, a, a crucial statement, really. It's as part of a bigger refrain. Uh, the text says, because I am with you, remember these things that I've just told you, because I am with you, and because I am the Lord. So this is, this is an important statement. Um, and so... I've chosen to set it in an important fashion. It, 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 it occupies an important structural place, um, and um, although the harmony there is very simple, the, 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 I suppose that's represented by the, the texture, really, which, which divides out and I hope sort of blossoms out at that point just for the word Lord and comes back down again. Remember this bit? Okay, so how then do you manage kind of larger scale structural decisions uh, mm -hmm. on this basis? If you're kind of going from moment to moment, how does that affect the macro structure? Before I can start at bar one, um, I've had to consider the text quite carefully because, of course, with this uh, approach, the structure of the piece is inextricably tied up with the structure of the text, which is why searching for a text so took so long for this project. <laughs> The piece was written over the course of about a month, having spent three or four months before that looking through the manuscripts for a suitable text. An important aspect of that was finding a text which should be roughly the right length, but also had a nice structural, a nice sense of structural possibility within it. That's the text. Um, what about the manuscripts and music itself? The, the one you chose is fairly unusual. You said it would have been sung by a solo cantor, for instance. What else can you tell me about it? Uh, it's quite uh, the notation is quite complex um, by the standard of these manuscripts. There are some very long melismas in it, um, one syllable set to many many neumes, which was actually one of the things that drew me to this chant in the first place. I was looking for a chant that had these long melismas in it. To me, it was important to find some uh, elements which were, if not unique to the, the old Hispanic office, um, but at least. A character, very characteristic of this repertoire. So this text, unique to the old Hispanic office in which it was sung on St Vincent's Day, dictates the musical thrust and structure. The manuscript is Leon 8, which dates from the 10th or 11th century. Above the beautifully scribed black and red words are squiggles called neumes, dots, dashes and swoops that remind a singer of the melodic shape. This is campo aperto notation that gives us much, but not all, of the information needed to sing these chants. The notation we have for these for these chants it shows us where it goes up and down, but it and it shows us how many notes are on a syllable, and it gives us combinations of ups and downs of those notes. But we have no idea how far up or down they're going, or indeed what the starting note is. So these melodic contours can be expressed in combinations of neutrals, highs and lows, where neutral is a starting pitch and the following notes are either higher, lower or the same. So as I say, I found this um, idea that we can, read, we can read elements of this notation still. I found that fascinating. Um, I've heard the old Hispanic team talk about this um, often before and they were always very keen to point out that um, even though we can read some melodic contour, we can't reconstruct what this music would have sounded like. 
which is absolutely fair enough if you're a musicologist. But of course I'm a composer and I find that really frustrating because the first thing I want to do is sit down and read these neumes and uh, know what it sounded like. And so I, um, rather cheekily I suppose, came up with a, a, a way that I could incorporate some of this melodic character. In my first um, temptation was to think, well, what could those notes have been? Um, not necessarily what were they, but what could they have been? Um, and so, um, well, actually, if you look at the beginning of my piece, they could have been, um, uh, say, if you start on an A, then uh, go to the B that's just uh, one tone higher than that. Um, uh, that could have been the first neutral high. Um, and then if you start on a B for the second neutral and go up to the C sharp, that could have been possibly, and that's a higher note, so you then get neutral high, neutral high, which fits with, with the neumes, the, the element of the neumes that we can read. Of course, it's almost certainly not actually what they would have sung seeing those neumes, although no one can actually tell me that it definitely isn't. Um, and of course there are many other um, possible readings of that neutral high, neutral high figure. Um, so in fact, the entry we were just talking about, the treble entry at the beginning of the piece, A, B, B, C sharp, um, that's one possible reading. Um, the alto part, where it comes in underneath, um, is another possible reading um, of that. So they start with, uh, instead of a, a rising tone, they have a rising major third as the first neutral high figure, um, and then a rising minor third for the second neutral high. Um, so maybe that's another possibility. The tenors, who come in just before the altos, they have another possibility. They have a, a rising minor third and then a rising tone. So that's another neutral high, neutral high figure. Um, you can't definitely tell me that that wasn't something that uh, the, the monks who were singing this, or the monk who was singing this manuscript might have sung. It probably isn't, but um, it's another possible reading of it. Um, and then the basses come in um, a bit later into the piece with a similar figure and the, with a much bigger interval um, but again it's a neutral high neutral high melodic shape of the line so perhaps woven into the texture of this new piece a lost melody used in worship over a thousand years ago can be heard. Whether it is or not, it's an evocative thought, and it highlights just one approach to Emma's idea that new music might allow this old Hispanic office to resonate in the here and now. That completes this time-travelling podcast. To hear the music in full, go to benedicttodd.co.uk. For the project, see bristol.ac.uk slash arts slash research slash OHO project. My thanks go to Stephen Darlington, director of Christchurch Cathedral Choir, whose voices you've been hearing, Benedict Todd, Emma Hornby, Pod Academy, and to you for listening. Thank you.